you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, we're back in Matthew chapter 13 again. You know, as I was sitting thinking about this chapter this week and what we did before about two or three weeks ago, these two articles that I put into the sort of the, the flyer this morning, it sort of reminds me <clears throat> of what's happening here as Jesus teaches these parables. Now remember that this is Matthew that's written this down and Matthew was the tax collector. He would be the one who would be he would be very literate in Greek and very literate in Hebrew and Aramaic, being someone who had to keep records. And although we see all of these kingdom parables all put together here, it's probably unlikely that Jesus spoke them all at the one time, although it's not impossible. But it would appear here that Matthew is putting them in some sort of order, being the sort of ordered mind that he had for collecting taxes, etc. He's been taking notes all the time that Jesus has been ministering. And if you look at the previous chapters, he's kind of pushed a lot of the miracles together, a lot of the healings and stuff like that, and he's trying to show this interaction between them. And here, with what is referred to in Matthew 13 as the kingdom parables, Matthew is bringing all of these together. To try and give people an indication as to what exactly was, what exactly the heart of God is in regards to these things. And we saw that the first one that he taught on was the parable of the sower, where a man went out to sow seed, and we know that the man was basically Jesus. He was out there showing the seed, and it fell on hard ground, and it fell on rocky ground, and it fell on weedy ground, and it fell on good soil. And we think. Or we talked about the fact that this was referring to different types of people, and it does. They're probably, I mean, Jesus was probably explaining to us here that there are four types of people in the world. There are people who are hard and probably will never soften. There are people who are emotional and they accept the word of God very quickly and readily. They recognize the truth, but they don't give it any depth. Why do they not give any depth? Because... They don't spend time in the Word. They don't spend time in prayer. And they don't spend time in fellowship. And here's a good old soul coming in to see me in the day. <laughs> For the purposes of the tape, that was Tom Duncan just arriving. Good to see you, Tom. Susan. So we'll... We've seen that that's the kind of four different types of, of soil, four different types of people. <clears throat> people who are hard, people who are kind of emotional, they recognise the truth for what it is, but they put no root down. Uh, and although it appears that they grow up very quickly, as soon as pressure comes on them, they lose it. And in amongst the weeds as well, very fertile soil, in amongst the weeds, but the weeds come up as well as the good grain, and it chokes them off. And one of the things that Jesus always talks about, he talks a lot about money in the New Testament and in his ministry. You know, he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Don't be fooled by the fact that money can be a, an answer to a problem. I was just reading this week that over since the national lottery started, 50% of the people who have become millionaires through the national lottery in the last 10 years have become bankrupt because they've just it just overwhelmed them. They just didn't know what to do with it. In fact, most of them lost their money through gambling, believe it or not. Because they thought they had the Midas touch. They thought, 
admit, you know, I've got 18 million off the, the off the lottery, and I'll just buy another 18 million tickets, sort of thing. You know, I'm bound to win something. I, you want a free ticket? Yeah. But you know, that's the sort of thing. That's the kind of thing that the deceitfulness of riches that that, that that get to people. And then, of course, there's a, the, there's the good soil. The soil upon which the seed falls and it finds a root. And people find their way into Bible-believing fellowships and they find their way to a place where they have that personal relationship with the Lord. When that Holy Spirit comes into them in the true sense of the word, that real baptism of the Spirit comes upon them. And they go forward. And they produce fruit. And you know, I want to encourage you this morning. For all the little words that you say to people, for all the times that you, you only manage to mention Jesus briefly, in a conversation and you go away home and you beat yourself up saying I wish I'd said more I wish I could have said more you know I, I, I've almost I've always had the picture of, of arriving in heaven and some angel opens the book and said Jim Tatton for you there are 3,647 souls in here who wouldn't be here without you and that's the same with you guys and you think to yourself when another are I spoke to 3,647 souls I don't know why the figures look like that, but never mind. It's just me and figures, isn't it? But you understand what I'm saying to you? That, that what you say, what the fruit that you produce is something that you'll never know how much fruit you have produced until you get there. And when, when Jesus was speaking about the 30, 60, or 100 times, of course, that's totally exaggerated. That is, that is miraculous in the sense that, that uh, in those days... A, a, a seed of corn that was fairly wild stuff and it would maybe only produce 16 or 20 ears of corn per one that you'd planted so here was a Jesus promised in harvest say 30, 60, 100 nowadays with genetic modification oh bad word um, we can get any amount of production in wheat but you see that what Jesus was telling them was something miraculous here that beyond the natural the kingdom of God will expand but even in that parable of the sower, there's something to speak of us personally. There are times when, when our hearts are hard to the word. When maybe we've stepped out of line, when maybe we've stepped into a sinful situation. And we don't want to hear the answer. We read the word of God and we close it. Because it speaks to us. And, and our hearts become hardened to it. And we need to be careful that we don't allow that to continue. And of course, there are times when we get really carried away with the word, that we get to a big meeting or whatever, and we get really emotional, and we make all these, these vain promises to God that I'll do this, and I'll do that, and do the next thing, and it's all very shallow. And within a few weeks, it's all fallen apart. It's like, it's like New Year's resolutions. Don't make them, because you just disappoint yourself. It's just... Uh... Then, of course, we get seed that falls amongst the weeds of... <laughs> You know, there's times in our lives when we allow weeds to grow in our lives. When we're not being as active in fellowship as we should be. When we're not reading the word as much as we should be. When we're not praying with, other, with each other and for each other. When we find ourselves isolated, then the weeds start to grow. Satan comes in and tells us, what kind of person are you? you know, what kind of Christian are you? And they start to choke us out. And of course, the good soil. There's great times in the kingdom. It's not all hard ground, it's not all weeds, it's not all shallowness, there's a lot of depth. And that's where, I say it again, that's where this three-legged stool comes in. You, you know, you can't, 
you'll never wobble in a three-legged stool you need to read the word and study it you need to pray and you need to be in fellowship these are the three things that will keep you strong as we talk about the kingdom of heaven here and Jesus goes on later here to talk about the parable of the weeds and we spoke about that briefly last week but I want to start there at verse 24 that's my introduction over by the way so Jesus told him another parable and he said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field but while everyone was sleeping his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away and when the wheat sprouted and formed heads then the weeds also appeared and the owner's servant came to him and said sir didn't you go good seed in your field where then did the weeds come from an enemy did this he replied and the servants asked him do you want us to go and pull them up no he answered because while you are pulling up the weeds you may uproot the wheat with them let them both grow together until the harvest at that time I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn and this again coupled with the the, the parable of the sower this speaks again Jesus is talking about corruption within the kingdom of God this time instead of the, 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 the seed being the word of God the seed is now the people of God that are planted on this earth that God has produced on this earth and of course there's the seed of Satan as well and think about this this is not something that Jesus is talking about specifically for Israel or specifically for the church we're now in a broader sense here we're now within the world for Jesus died for the whole world that whoever would believe in him would not perish and what he's trying to tell us here is that there might be a situation comes along where people look like Christians and act like Christians but they're not Christians and Jesus himself spoke it he said you know the time will come you know, and that day many will come and say Lord Lord and I'll say away from me I never knew you and how can that be how can that happen Christians who look like Christians but are not wolves in sheep's clothing here we see and I think I explained it the last time that the wheat that they were growing was a kind of wild wheat and there was another weedy type product that looked like it called darnel the difference between the true wheat and the darnel was that true wheat you could eat darnel if you ate it it poisoned you so you had to be very careful but you could always tell the difference between the two and that was why Jesus said to his, in this parable he tells them not to pull up the, the, the weed because you may pull up the wheat it's not that they would uproot it deliberately but they looked very similar to each other the only time you could tell the difference was when they came into flower when they came into fruit you could tell them by their fruit at that point in time when the whole harvest was ready then you could quite readily say that's Darnell and that's wheat and so the two could be separated and so it will be he says at the end of the age that the Christians and the non-Christians will be separated those who are in Christ will be taken into this beautiful kingdom and those who are not will be cast into an everlasting fire and so he goes on the parable of the mustard seed in the yeast and he told them this parable at verse 31 the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field though it is the smallest of all seeds yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches the people must have been baffled by this remember I spoke the last time we spoke 
we talked about the parables these are parables these are, are, are heavenly stories or earthly stories with heavenly meanings now there was two of these parables explained to the disciples but they were not explained to the multitudes and this is something that I have to get across to you Jesus in these parables is asking people to think about what he's saying what exactly is he saying here what exactly are you talking about if we go into this with hindsight we go into this with 2020 vision remember that this is a situation where Jesus is sitting in a cornfield in Galilee somewhere telling these guys about the kingdom of heaven they don't know about the church they don't know about this great and wonderful kingdom of God that's going to expand out from this ministry here in Galilee if you wanted to plant mustard seed today they're so small that, I mean if you dipped your finger in you could probably get 30 or 40 on the tip of your finger they're difficult to plant because they're so bunched together so what you normally do with them is you take some sharp sand and you sprinkle them in amongst the sharp sand and you mix them all together and then you spread them out and hopefully the sharp sand takes this little oily coating off them and they spread out evenly and you get plants that grow but the people here must have been baffled they're saying ok we plant these little seeds but when does it grow into a tree? Mustard. These people were growing mustard. Mustard grown into a tree. It's lucky if it grows into a bush that's up to your knees. What is he talking about? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. The field. What's the field? The world. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants. No, it's not. But here again, we've got to think about this. This is Jesus talking about this miraculous growth of the kingdom of God. And we saw it. We've seen it. It is growing. It has grown. In the past and, and even now. Although we don't see the growth in this country, we see the decline in this country. But in other countries, in places like India and Pakistan, there's such a tremendous growth. China. There's 20,000 Chinese coming to the Lord every week. I know that's not a lot in terms of the size of the population but um, it wouldn't take many weeks to save the whole of Scotland if we were getting them at 20,000 at a time so the kingdom of God is growing and as Jesus is trying to flag up the miraculous here that even for the smallest thing and, and this small seed this small mustard seed that he's, that he's sown in there it's, it's a seed of faith we, we, he spoke about it again you know when he says if you have seed the size of a mustard seed you can say this mountain go get into the sea he wasn't actually physically telling you that you could tell a mountain to move into the sea but what he was saying was if you have the faith then all things are possible to you nothing's impossible to you and so it was with this the mustard seed's a bush it's not a tree but we see here the prophetic and miraculous rise in the size of the kingdom of God this huge burgeoning out from this man's ministry this Jesus this man who was God that his ministry through the hearts of men through men who have got good soil within them that the seed has been planted that they've got this absolute and total ability to take God's word and to spread it into the world the other thing of course it talks about here is, is once again corruption within the kingdom of God the birds of the air the birds of the air came and nested in this miraculous unnatural sized mustard bush mustard tree 
Everywhere you see mentioned the birds of the air in the Bible, it's evil. It talks about sinfulness, it talks about evil. Even in that, the last parable there, or the parable before last, the parable of the sower, who was it that came and took the seed for the hard ground? The birds of the air. It's always equated with Satan and his minions. This miraculous rise, this miraculous growth in the church, the, the people would be, they would be mystified by this as a parable. They would really need to go away and think about it. They would really need to come and ask about it. Because it's not something that comes through a natural ability. It's something that comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. So what does it describe? It describes what the church came to in 325 AD. It was the church had been growing steadily for the first two or three centuries after Jesus. And it was big. It was a big church, even right up into Rome at that point in time. And if you remember the, the Emperor Constantine, in 325 AD, he claimed to have had this apparition, this epiphany of, of, of God, uh, telling them that um, if he put his trust in him, then he was going out to fight a battle, and, and if he put his trust in him, he would win the battle. Many skeptics, probably me among them, uh, believe that he adopted Christianity as a means of boosting his army because his army he was, he was going out to fight against the Carthaginians and the Carthaginians had a much larger army than he had and so he thought if I got the Christians on my side I could enroll them in my army and, uh, and, and that's exactly what he did and of course he, he beat the Carthaginians but there was obviously something in this because he basically made an edict over the next couple of years to the effect that as of tomorrow the, the religion of Rome will be Christianity forget all your pagan temples and all the rest of it it's all going to be Christianity and of course many of the pagan priests etc and I believe that this is where a lot of the stuff came in the Roman Catholic Church that they just they kept their idols, they kept their statues they just took the names down and put different names oh you look like Jesus, we'll have used Jesus you look like Mary, we'll have used Mary and, and in some measure that was how the whole thing just developed and, uh, and of course when Constantine asked yes we've converted but there was no conversion and that's this evil, the birds of the air came because once the state and the church had combined in Rome it became really quite an evil empire it controlled people that put people under guard. In fact, the church was so strong at one point in time that even the kings of Europe, the kings of France, the kings of Italy, all these other places, they wouldn't go to war if the Pope at that point in time said they couldn't. So it was a really, it was a really powerful situation that, these, that this Christian church got itself into. But there was a lot of corruption, a lot of problems in it. And of course we... we we know that in the past that the priests, although they, they, it started out in a situation where they would absolve people of their sin and that was their way of doing things, which was biblically wrong, but then they started charging money for it. And there was all sorts of issues. And that was really what Jesus was talking about here, that this, this kingdom will grow great and big and mighty, but it will be corrupt as well. Satan will have his people in there who corrupt it. You know, it's just a situation that we get today that 
People want to be seen as important. Even within the church. You know, we want to be seen as being at the forefront of things. I mean, the thing that comes to mind is these selfies and these selfie sticks, you know. You can't take a picture without you're in them, you know. It's no good picture unless I'm in them, you know. And I said to you before, you know, that this selfie comes for selfish. And, uh, I mean, when people show you a picture of a group of people like in here, who do you look for first? You don't look and say, oh, well, that's George and that's Malcolm and that's, where am I? Is my hair straight? Are my glasses on right? I don't really suit that scarf. But people want to be seen as being important. And that's no different in the church. And we have to be careful that we keep ourselves humble. Keep ourselves before the Lord. Keep ourselves in a place where we can be accountable. Not just to the Lord but to each other. When we start to step out of that place we start to lose contact with just the very roots of Christianity. When the world wants a Christian opinion they don't come to the Bible. Somebody in some Sky News office or BBC News office doesn't say what does Christianity say about this? Who do they go to? They go to the Pope. What does the Pope know about Christianity? Not an awful lot. And I know that that might sound a bit harsh, but to be honest, it, it, it's all liturgy and it's all, it's all idolatry and, and there's a real problem there. They don't even come to me when they're looking for a Christian opinion. <laughs> and yet in some measure they should be coming to people like you. What does God say about this? So we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we keep ourselves humble. That we keep ourselves in that place where we're not getting puffed up. That we're not allowing the corruption that's in the kingdom of God. And it is here. It's here today. We see it in the churches around us. When they're trying to conform themselves to the world. And the world's just laughing at them. You can't keep up if you want to conform yourself to the world. Why is that? Because the world changes its mind every five minutes. And, I, and, I, and not just in the, in the moral values. If you look at things like diet and exercise and all the rest of it, I mean, you go crazy. One week they're telling you, do this, do that, eat this, eat that. Next week they're saying, that's bad for you. Don't do that, don't do this. And you, it would drive you crazy. But that's the way of the world. That's the wisdom of men. That's what men are relying upon. The word of God is our reliance. This is the only absolute that we have. Everything else in this world is relative. It depends on this or it depends on that. This is absolute and we need to stick by that. And it won't make you popular. Neither will they come to you and ask you for a Christian opinion. But this is what we have to stick to. Because the kingdom of God even today is corrupt. And he told them another parable at verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Now, this must have astonished the Pharisees and the Jews at this time because if you look at the the Old Testament when they talk about the the Passover, they always talk about leaven, about yeast as being a sign of sin. And they make great care and take great care about making sure that the home is properly cleaned and all the rest of it before they celebrate their Passover. So Jesus using the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast 
or 11. I mean, what exactly is he trying to tell these people here? They would be absolutely affronted by this. They would be, the Pharisees would be steam coming out of their ears by this time. And here we have another exaggeration here, another point that Jesus is making about the the kingdom of God and and, and the advance that's going to be in the kingdom of God. Because I don't know whether any of you have ever made bread or a yeast product, but you get this wee slimy bit of dough and you kind of get it off your fingers and it's sort of doing this. But when you leave it to rest and the the leaven's in it, it grows up to a great big, about four or five times the size that it should have been. But this is even beyond that. It says that a woman, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. I mean, you can make a hundred loaves out of that. This is not something that she would do on a daily basis. Because in those days, the men went out to fish and they produced the fish for the dinner and the women baked the bread. And the bread had no preservatives in it. And just as a kind of aside, when the bread came out of these kind of beehive ovens, it would have a kind of black crust on it, and it would look like a curling stone. Literally, look like a curling stone. And it was, like any other bread, very nice to eat, but leave it for a day, and it was like a boulder. You know, and Jesus used the analogy when he said, if your son asks for bread, will I give him a stone? Because that would mean you were giving him yesterday's bread, and bread is for today. You know, there was no preservatives in it. So this woman was making 60 pounds of flour and maybe 100 loaves. And, you know, it was just, they were astonished at the fact that he would use the analogy 11. But again, that speaks of corruption within the kingdom of God. But it also speaks <clears throat> of the miraculous and unnatural growth in the size. 60 pounds of flour. I mean, once you start off with 60 pounds of flour, how big is it going to be once the leaven's through it? Be huge! The corruption that's within the church, and sometimes the growth that is caused in the church, we see many churches reverting to a kind of a paganizing influence. It's an acceptance of the old ways. It's the kind of emergent church type thing that you've got to go back to the Gregorian chanting and all that sort of thing to get the true meaning of what Christianity is. And that's really not the truth, folks. The, 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 the reality of Christianity is Christ and Him crucified. And that spirit that lives within us. <clears throat> we don't need anything else. When we start to add things to the Word of God, then we're really in a problem. We've got the Jehovah's Witnesses who add their own writings to the Word of God and they revere their own writings above the Bible. We've got the Mormons who take the the Book of Mormon and they revere that above the Bible. Although they'll tell you they're Christians, oh, but you need to read the Book of Mormon as well. No, you don't. You just need the Bible. We get the same situation in all of these quasi- Religious organisations like Masons and Orange Orders and all the rest of it, they've got some sort of um, ritual that they want to stick by. And, and they'll use the Bible as a kind of backup to it. And it really isn't the truth. So, in the face of the continuing opposition that Jesus was seeing to what he was telling these people, he was telling them that there will be corruption within it. And yet, you see him starting to build a, a case here through all of these the kingdom of heaven is like this and the kingdom of heaven is like that 
Isn't it the truth what Jesus said to the disciples? He said, you know, whatever you do, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now he'd used that analogy before. And to call the Pharisees sinful would have been horrendous. And yet that's what he was calling them. When he told the disciples, you know, there's a lot of things that will trip you up, but beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of that religious spirit. Beware of that religious spirit that says that you must do this and you must do that and you must do the next thing and then you'll get a brownie point with God. You don't get brownie points with God. God gives because he's gracious and good and because you have believed him. Because you've had the faith of that mustard seed and said, right Lord, I'll, I'll allow you to plant that seed in me and see if it grows. Just by surrendering our life to Christ we don't need anything else that is all we need to take us through to salvation and Jesus spoke all these things at verse 34 to the crowd in parables he did not say anything to them without using a parable so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet I will open my mouth in parables I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world now it's not to say that Jesus never spoke a word without saying a parable but what the, the context of what he's saying here or Matthew's written down for us here he said he did not say anything to them without using a parable he didn't make any great proclamation to them without using a parable that the important things the really important deep things he dressed up in a parable why? because the people had to hear it but they also had to think about it I mean, as I said before, we see these parables in the light of 2020 vision. We see these parables in the light of that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and, 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 and show us what's happening. But these people didn't. They were baffled by it. Why is Jesus talking about his kingdom or the kingdom of God being corrupted? Why is he talking about it being a sinful kingdom? Because we can look now and say Jesus was right. Indeed, even from of old, and at the time of Pentecost, even in the first Pentecost, the way back at Mount Horeb at Sinai, you know, they took two loaves, both way, both way eastern them, and waved them before the Lord as a wave of them. One represented Israel, and one represented the church, and both had leaven in them, both had sin in them. It was Christ that would take the sin from. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So what is it that's been hidden since the creation of the world? The prophets in the Old Testament told us about the coming of a Messiah. The people knew there was a Messiah coming. So what is it that's hidden? I want you to think about it from this point of view. The Old Testament's prophets are seeing this vision. And they see Christ at his first coming. This baby, this child, this humble baby boy and beyond that they can see Christ crucified and beyond that they can see Christ coming again as the king of glory these are the three things that in some measure the Old Testament prophesies to us now if you can imagine those things as being mountaintops the prophets are seeing the mountaintops they're seeing the baby born, they're seeing the crucifixion, they're seeing the second coming, but they're not seeing what's in the valley. And what's in the valley is the church. It was hidden since before the beginning of creation. This is a time of grace. 
this time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ is this is the time of grace this is when the salvation of God is open to the whole world Jesus took up a step here when he talks about the whole world being his field and the people were planted in it this is a time of grace for whoever would believe in his name accept that forgiveness for sin that washing in the blood whoever would do that would have salvation but when the time comes when that second coming or when we go to meet Christ when we die it's too late then let me read you Psalm 78 <clears throat> a wee bit of it anyway it says my people hear my teaching and listen to the words of my mouth I will open my mouth wide with a parable I will utter things, things from of old things we have heard and known things our ancestors have told us we will not hide them from their descendants we will tell them to the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord his power and the wonders he has done and that's basically what Jesus was quoting when he talked about I speak to them in parables and they, will, they would not understand and so he goes on the parable of the weeds then he left the crowd and went into the house his disciples came to him verse 35 and said explain to us the parable of the weeds in the fields so he'd gone into a house he'd gone in probably to have dinner or whatever and the disciples came and they said you know that thing you told us about the darnel and the, and the wheat what exactly do you mean so if the disciples were baffled at the parable this was not the multitudes of the people this was the disciples who had come to him and asked him and I ask you this morning do we sit baffled do we sit here this morning baffled at the teaching we receive do many of us sit here and say Jim goes out there and talks about that and just goes Bush. do we sit baffled we shouldn't be because if we are baffled we should ask the question what does that mean just as these disciples were if you're baffled by it, ask the questions. Go back to your Bible. Read it. Get it sorted out. And what I want to tell you this morning is, what I used to tell the kids in school, if you don't understand it, ask the question. There are no stupid questions. Because other people know the answer, doesn't mean to say your question is stupid. So ask a question. Go before the Lord. Come to somebody that maybe has the answer and say, what does that mean? What is that about? and look for an answer there are no stupid questions so Jesus answered them at verse 37 the one who sowed the seed the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man the field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom the weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of the age the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil they will throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father whoever has ears let him hear how many times does Jesus use that whoever has ears let him hear we've all got ears but many of us don't hear we sit baffled rather than ask the question and maybe look silly and the disciples were the same Jesus is the sword the field is the world it's not Israel, it's not the church this is him expanding into the whole realm of nature the whole thing that God's created the whole thing because it tells us that when the, son of, when, the son of God, when the sons of God are redeemed when that final redemption comes and we go to live with God forever 
Creation will be redeemed as well. The lion will lie down with the lamb. You know, there'll, there'll be no more animosity between birds will come and rest in your finger because they have no fear of you. I mean, how, how is it? How is it that a bird will go and sit in the back of a sheep and walk around with it all day? It'll not come and sit on your shoulder. We consider it to be quite phenomenal if a bird comes and sits on our shoulder. The sheep just says, that's fine. Takes the bugs off me. Why? Because there's an animosity between men, mankind and creation. And it's sin. It's sin that's the problem. Sin makes us unattractive to the rest of creation. That's why everything avoids us because most of the time if we come across wild animals or whatever we just shoot them. And uh, they're no longer figuring it out. A once perfect world corrupted by Satan's strategies. This time the good seed is the people of the kingdom. The redeemed of the Lord. And Jesus is going to cleanse it from all that causes sin and all the evildoers. And I want to encourage you that this morning. There's a time coming. A time coming when you'll live forever. When you'll not have any more sicknesses and no more tears and no more dying and no more crying. That everything will be put right. Creation will stand as it should have been. I mean, when we look at creation, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1. He says, when you look at creation, men are without excuse. You can't look at that and say there is no God. You look at the marvels that are around this world and they're just there because they're there. And yet, that's creation in its damaged state. Wait till God puts it right. Wait till he puts it the way it should have been. We won't even understand it because he's going to put us right as well. Imagine, imagine that there's a time coming or think about there's a time coming when you will have no memory of sin. You won't be able to sin because you don't know how to do it. Just the same as what Adam and Eve were in the garden. They relied totally on God. They were absolutely, completely reliant on God. Everything they needed, they asked their father for. It might have seemed a stupid question, but they asked God. And that's the way we should be. Those people that are totally reliant. That's the way that we can keep ourselves out of sin. And then, of course, just going to finish this quickly. The kingdom of heaven at verse 44 is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now Jesus doesn't explain this parable. Do you know what the field is? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. What's the field? Who's the treasure? Who was the man? Well, the field is the world. The treasure is mankind. And Jesus is the man. Jesus died for the world. He was the only one who could pay the price. There was no one else who could pay the price. It can't be anyone else because no one else could pay the price. A hidden treasure. And Jesus is talking about you and I as being a hidden treasure. As Brian prayed this morning or read this morning from scripture, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made us friends when we were total enemies, when we were absolutely against all that was God, against all that was God's creation. We were absolutely against it and yet Christ died for our sins. 
And again he says at verse 45, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, the Jews would be would be a bit upset or baffled by this as well, because they weren't any pearls. Pearls come out of seafood, or shellfish, and that was not kosher. The Jews had nothing, they wouldn't even touch them. So what is Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven being like a pearl? He's talking about it being like a pearl because it contains Gentiles. These are things that Gentiles treasured, a pearl. A pearl that was of great value. The Gentile church. A pearl of great value. Jesus was the buyer. We see the meaning in hindsight. But to understand this, even today, if it's not explained to you, you would have to think about it. You would have to go and do your research. What what does Jesus talk about a pearl? I mean, it was the Gentile world. In those days, there were no artificial, no synthetic pearls. The pearls were grown in oysters. and, and, And that was how you got them. That was why they were so expensive. But the Jews wanted nothing to do with them because pearls were, shellfish and shellfish were non kosher. And so they wouldn't eat them and they wouldn't touch them. So here was Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven being like a pearl. And so that's really, that's my take on it. This is to do with it being a Gentile church. Once again the kingdom of heaven at verse 47 is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets. But they threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the believer and the non-believer, the wicked and the good are going to be here till the end. And the church, and the church, listen, will not reform society. Because the evil is going to be, the kingdom of God is going to be corrupted even right to the end. All this kingdom now theology that we are the church and it's up to us to make sure that the world's ready for Christ coming back. It's nonsense. The only way this world is going to be changed is when Christ does come back. We can change or we can speak to people and we can see lives changed one at a time but it's really God that changes lives. He's the one that draws people to him. We can speak the word and we can speak the word in season. And isn't it wonderful that a sinless, totally holy God would use such a sinful people to spread his word? I find that the absolute ultimate grace. That your worst enemy at one time, you're now trusting with your most trusted prize, the salvation of the world. The believer and non-believer will be here till the end and the church will not reform the world. Have you understood all these things Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. And I can just sit and see them sitting there going, the eyes glazed, yes. Did the disciples really understand? Do we really understand? And he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The changes that come about in the kingdom of God. We should never weary of the old. There are many today within the church who disclaim or discount the Old Testament because the Old Testament deals with Israel and Israel's finished. 
And that's not the truth. Christ is coming back for two things. The church, he'll come back for first. And then he'll come back for Israel. And Israel still has a great part to play in the end times. So we're not to be weary of the old. And not to be frightened of the new either. And just to finish this chapter off. When, at verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables. He moved on from there coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in the synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom? And these miraculous powers. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own hometown and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of the lack of faith. So Jesus has moved from Capernaum to Nazareth. He's gone back up to Nazareth. And probably quite a lot of people have followed him. But surely this passage, for anybody that's witnessing to Roman Catholics, this puts to death the, 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 the notion of the perpetual virginity of Mary. I mean, here we're quite openly told that, you know, that, it's, uh, that there's brothers, there's sisters, there's all sorts of things. Well, maybe half brothers and sisters. And Roman Catholics were kept in that place of religiosity because they were never encouraged to read their Bibles you have to read your Bible you have to read it and understand it you have to allow the Holy Spirit to touch you as you read it and I'm telling you this morning don't believe me check it out Acts 17.11 the Bereans were of a more noble character and they checked the scriptures daily and made sure that what Jim Tatton told them was the truth Think about what the Bible says and study it and allow the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. Yes, we can read our Bibles and we can do it in a devotional sense and that's wonderful and we, we, we all do that, I hope. But there's a time when you have to study. There's a time when these people, like these, I mean, many times have you read Matthew 13 and thought, no much in that. How many times have you read a passage of the Bible and thought, I don't understand that. Well, don't just write it off. Look for an answer. Because I'll tell you there's an answer there. God said of himself, to those who would seek after my face, to them will I reveal myself. Seek after them. And it's not just a case of a wee quick skim through a concordance or whatever. It's seeking after. It's the use of prayer. It's the use of fellowship. It's the use of studying the word. When these things are foremost in your life, then the understanding will come. We'll never understand it all. And neither do we confess to do that. But one day, one day all your questions will be answered. In fact, I believe that one day when you get there, you'll just have to look. You'll not have any questions. They'll all be answered. And one figure that's standing there in front of you, the King of Glory, dressed as he is with his crown, and the crowns that you've received for your good deeds and all the rest of it, you'll just take them off and you'll go... I am not worthy and fall down before the king. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would give us understanding, Lord. That you would fill our hearts with your good pleasure. Lord, keep us from sin. Keep us from the things that constantly seem to entangle us, Lord. Keep us from the deceitfulness of riches, Lord. Keep us from, from the, the, the shallowness of emotions, Lord. Help us to be the good soil, Lord. 
Help us to be a people that recognise that there is corruption within the kingdom of heaven, Lord. You're telling us that, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes and our discernment open that we might see where that corruption is, Lord, and that we might pray against it. So, Father, be with us. Help us to understand a bit more of you today than we did when we came in. For we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.